0: Welcome to Elevate, I'm so happy you're here with me today and I cannot wait to share this episode with you. As an evidence-based coach, mentor, and entrepreneur, I'm obsessed with learning and personal development as it's transformed my entire life, as well as those I get to work with. And to be quite frank, it's literally the entire reason this podcast exists, to fuel your growth, gain perspective, and acquire knowledge. So buckle up, friends, you're in for a treat. And as always, Thank you for supporting me and the show so we can continue to elevate our own lives as well as those you share this with. Now, let's get into it. What's going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of Elevate. And today we're gonna dive in answering your questions. This is going to be all about toxic relationships, narcissistic people, those types of dynamics and relationships. And I do have Josh as my wingman here. So I have my own experience with dealing with people in a toxic dynamic. And so I don't want my answers to only come from my frame of reference. So I'm going to let him into the conversation and we're going to go ahead and dive in. What's going on, Josh?
1: Not much. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. How are you?
1: Good. you have a good weekend?
0: I did. I, other than it's freezing here and it's snowed in Texas and nobody here knows what to do about that. So it's like a little bit chaotic. People get really overwhelmed. Like they don't know how to drive. They don't have salt here. So it's just the roads are wild. Yeah. just
1: like everything shuts down. It's just over.
0: Yep. yep it's like COVID 2.0, like all the toilet paper, all the chicken, just like all of it's gone. <laughs> Preparing for the apocalypse. Did you see that there I was alien sightings or whatever? No. Oh, my gosh. There was this huge – I mean, I don't know if you're on Twitter, but there was this huge thing about these giant 10-foot aliens outside of a mall in Miami, and it's just, like, so wild. Yeah, I don't know where that story went, but it was really interesting, and they had, like, video recordings of this thing, and I don't know what it was. It was weird, so.
1: I got to – I'll look that up. That's – yeah, I – in in terms of winter weather and storms, it always cracks me up that I, I'm sure you had the same thing growing up. Anytime there was a nor'easter or a storm coming, uh, people would go and they would buy all this stuff, and I was always amazed to see how many people would buy like three, four gallons of water. Yeah. Just and I was like, what What are we doing with the gallons of water? I, I don't I don't know what that accomplishes.
0: I wonder if that has anything to do with them thinking like the pipes are going to freeze. That's the only thing I can think of, like why you would logically do that. But I have no idea. It's just funny to me because I grew up in New England. And even it was funny that Jordan texted me. He was like, oh, my God, it's snowing. I'm like, you lived in New York for like ever. I don't know why that that's alarming to you. Um, you you're equipped to handle this. I'm worried about everybody else that's not equipped <laughs> to handle this.
1: I think uh, – I feel like – don't you think we, ad- we adapt weirdly quickly though? Because – I feel like in the dead of winter, it could be snowing and it could be, but if if you travel someplace tropical, it's like that night, you could be out at dinner and it's 75 degrees and there's like a subtle breeze and people are like, it's really chilly. Should I get something? And it's like, wait, yesterday I checked the mail in a t-shirt and it was like 45 degrees and I was like, it's not that bad. And then you go on vacation you know, somewhere and it's all warm and you're like, Oh, I might need to bring a, a light jacket. It's like, what just happened? I've only been here for like six hours, and I'm already. But
0: acclimated. A friend of mine used climate. to live in Texas,
1: and yeah, he used to say that everything would just shut down if it if it snowed. Yeah. It was just like, no, we're good. Everything's shut down.
0: Yeah, no, literally, that's how it works because people don't know how to drive again. They don't have the equipment, to, <laughs> and you would think that they would have it after the freeze a couple of years ago, like just to have on hand. But they still like, there's just. No, nobody knows what to do. And the worst is when people will go out and try to drive that don't know how to drive in snow. And then it's just a mess everywhere. It's just awful. Um, but I'm excited for today because I put a Q&A in my story. And oftentimes when I post anonymous Q&As, I get a lot of questions around relationships. So I wanted to have you answer some of these questions because I have my own experience and my own frame of reference and so i can only pull my answers really from that biased perspective and so i wanted to throw some of these questions at you and see where we agree and then maybe where you can shine some light on a perspective that i might not have sound good
1: fair enough let's sit. i q and as are always fun
0: i know i love to I know, see I'm where excited. people go and I like I like relationships. Obviously, we talk a lot about toxicity and narcissism. So I have a good amount of them because they're so broad. I I think we'll go deep on some of these. So we might get not get through all of them, but I'll keep a running list for future podcasts. So if you guys are listening to this and you want to ask a question for me or Josh, I'll leave a link in the description so you guys can submit them. So we have a running library of the things that you guys want to learn. But to dive in with something hot and heavy, regarding toxic relationships or being with somebody that doesn't treat me well or respect my boundaries, why is it so hard to leave? I find myself continuing to justify their behavior even though I know it's wrong.
1: Oh, all right.
0: <laughs> I told you it was hot and heavy right from the beginning.
1: <laughs> it, it, honest to God, you're, you're so spot because I was like, "Ooh, what's it going to be? And then I was like, oh, crap. Yep. Well, so we're going to need a series for that one question. Mm -hmm. Um, I, why is it hard to leave? You know, there could be a million reasons. So I got to start by saying that it's not like there's one and only one why, or it's different for everybody, but I do think there are absolutely some reasons that it's so hard to leave. And some of them we've covered before, but I think it's because it's not all bad. Typically, if you're in a relationship with somebody, you know, if it's, and I know we're separating out kind of toxic relationships and narcissism, but you know, when you get into some of those personality disorders, when you have some of those nurse narcissistic traits, they can be a ton of fun. And it's the intermittent reinforcement, right? It's the fact that it can be so bad. And then just when you think you're done, just when you're like, that's it, I can't do it anymore. That's when something tends to flip and they can sense it or they know it. And then you get the good side of them. And I think what's so difficult is when you're with somebody who has narcissistic traits, the relationship itself uh, sometimes can be like, if you're grading it, a full A. And you can't get that with everybody. You know, uh, not everybody can push you outside of your comfort zone or, is confident enough to, to say, Hey, you don't want to do this, but we're going to do it anyway, or to just be so bold as to make choices for you or put, not everybody does that. So if you have somebody who's a little bit more on that narcissistic scale, they're more likely to push you outside of your comfort zone. And that sometimes can be awful. Sometimes that means you end up doing things that you absolutely don't want. And you're like, how did I let this happen? Other times, you can have an amazing time and be like i wouldn't have done this i wouldn't have done it if this person didn't essentially browbeat me into it and you know or or bully or like kind of coerce so the problem is that then you have that time and you're like this was amazing and it was fun they will always take that opportunity to hammer home how right they are see i told you i know better than you you wouldn't like you they have all of these reasons why See, if you listen to me, we would have more of this. And it's hard to not hear that and go, huh, we were thinking about going away. And I got in my head about, do I want to travel? And do I want to do this? And, but then when that person swoops in and says, we're doing it, I don't care if you want to do it, we're doing, we're going to, and then you have an amazing time. Well, one, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy a little bit, because if you're doing something they want, you'll get their best. So if they're, if they're the one pushing you to go do something, the reverse doesn't work. If you encourage or push them to do something that you want, they will be awful. They'll be miserable. They will ruin it for you. Because if it's not what they want to do and you try and coerce them, they will not participate. Everything will be bad. Every restaurant will be bad. Every hotel will be bad. The driving. But if you do something on their turf or on, it's on their want or need list, the drive will be fun. They'll be happy. They'll get there and, oh, the hotel will be the best. You get the best version of them, which is partially why you like it so much. And then they bank that. As they see, sometimes you think things are awful and you're wrong. And so what ends up happening is it messes with a normal person. It messes with an average person who's going to go, maybe there are times I'm not pushing myself. Maybe I'm the one that's you know, kind of the wet blanket. I've Never said that phrase in my life, but you know, like I'm, you know, it it messes it, it messes with how you perceive your yourself, and then it goes back to being bad. And the challenge coming back to the grading system is when you go on that trip, it can be an A, like a full blown A, maybe even an A plus, and you don't get that with a lot of people, and you're not going to get that with somebody who's really who doesn't want to push another person out of their comfort zone or is worried or but it can also be a full-blown F. So the range when you're in a a toxic relationship is that any given hangout at any given time, it could be an A or an F. That's an exhausting range because it means anytime you go out, anytime you have plans, anytime you do it, you don't know. You don't know, is this going to be an amazing time or a full-blown like F? But what happens is if you step out of that, You might start dating somebody else or meet somebody else that is a solid B. Their range is a B plus to a B minus. It's never an F, it's never even a C or a D, you know, but it's also rarely an A. Or if it is, it's an it's an A minus, but there was a lot of work, or you had to be. And so that will push people to even go back to that prior relationship because they're like, well, what's happening? I mean, I'm not worried. I don't go out to dinner and ever worry that I, we're headed there happy and that we're coming back in a screaming match, but also it's just solid. So you wonder, well, now what? And Was I wrong? Was I the problem? And and to get that A A plus, I have to com- I have to challenge myself. I have to push myself out of those bounds. So people start questioning, they question themselves, why you know, well, am I doing something to make the bad part of it come out? Am I only ever going to get those A, A plus moments if I'm with somebody that I have to tolerate that it could swing the other direction and be really, people don't know what to make of it. And so I think for, you know, it's hard, it's hard to get out of.
0: Yeah. And from my experience and the way that I would answer this question for myself, and maybe people can relate to this. I think when you're dealing with somebody who, if we're going to, again, alongside the lines of, toxic relationships like right? narcissistic personality disorder is not something fun that you can that you want to experience yet it's entirely thrilling if you're somebody who has never had somebody just be in awe of you or put you on a pedestal or think you're the most amazing thing in the world and you get that type of affection and attention it's overwhelming and pairing that with somebody who might have low self-esteem well it feels amazing it's like, I am amazing. I am beautiful. I am good enough. I can't have somebody like this. They want to take care of me. They want to show me the world. They want to have these dates that are just over the top and amazing experiences that you've never even tasted. And so when you have something like that happen to you, and then they start to show their true colors on the other side of the spectrum where they need to control everything and they're always right. And they don't argue to find solutions. They argue to prove that they're right. It, it, It makes you feel like, well, I don't want to lose the good stuff. I don't want to miss those moments. I want to keep doing that. And so maybe I'll tolerate this. Maybe it is something I'm doing wrong. Maybe it is my fault um, because they've, you know, they always seem to be right. Or when they do push me out of my comfort zone and we have these experiences, they are amazing, right? So maybe I'm the problem. And you start to question yourself and you start to question what you're seeing and what they're saying and what's actually happening. And But yet it comes with a reward if you tolerate it. And so you start to excuse it from happening because you're hoping that it will continue to manifest these really great connections and experiences. And most people who are narcissistic tend to be very captivating. They tend to be very intelligent. They tend to be very charismatic and fun and outgoing and spontaneous. And if you're not like that, maybe you're super structured and you play it safe and you don't put yourself out there that much and somebody's kind of pulling that out of you. It's an entirely different world that you've now entered with this person. And like Josh said, they can be fun. They can be really, really fun, really exciting. But that doesn't come without a cost. And even going back to what you said about dating somebody who's kind of like a bee, like that's something that I've struggled with. Is like, there's nothing wrong with them. They're great. They're steady. I don't have to worry about them. I know they never lie to me. I know they never step outside of their relationship. But... Like it doesn't bring that same excitement. It doesn't bring that same thrill. It doesn't bring that s- same spont- spontaneity or just, and I will say from my experience as well, the people that I've dated tend to say things that you would never expect somebody to say, and they'll say it in the most charming, straightforward, even though it makes you uncomfortable way like and and that to me at least initially caught me off guard of like you can look me in the eye and say that like no no smile yeah. no just joking kind of no like, laughing oh, it shit, off
1: you just said like,
0: it yeah like i'm dead serious and for me it was almost like who can have that level of confidence and conviction in that like i could never say those things out loud to somebody and be dead serious about it like i'd have to laugh it off or like play it play it light you know and so there's just so many things about that type of personality that are truly just they suck you in i I don't know how else to say it but it sucks you in and then and then you just want to continue to live in that thrill so you overlook a lot of the red flags at first at least that was my experience until it gets to a point where you've been isolated. They try to cut you off from your friends and family, right? They kind of lure you away from any support and then they're the one that cares about you. That's why they're doing it. And so they can always justify their behavior in a way that's looking out for you, which also makes you question why it makes you uncomfortable. Like this person says that they love me and they care about me and they're just looking out for me, but. I do want to have this relationship with my parents, but we did fight about that thing. And maybe they are right. Maybe they see it from a different way and I should trust them. Cause if you don't trust them, then you're going to get yelled at. So you need to trust them. They command that. And because they are so charismatic and intellectual, the way that they can speak and, and, dive into your emotions and for me it was a lot of time that they spent getting to know me and my desires and my fears and the things that i ultimately wanted from life in a relationship and they kind of audited that so that it was like they could leverage those things that i desired those things that made me uncomfortable or even some of my past experiences and then use them against me and so that puts you in a corner to start continuing to question yourself which again like it's not if you've never been in that situation it's hard, it's easier to say what you would do if you weren't in it. Like, oh, I would have just left if somebody ever did that to me. Or if I was ever in that situation, that's what I would have done. But you have no idea until you get there. And you think if you're struggling in understanding that, you can't be hard on yourself for not knowing what you feel like you should have known. Like when I walk away, when I walked out of those relationships, because I've had two that were pretty bad, like I held so much shame and so much guilt towards myself because I felt like I should have known better. I felt like I should. How did I get there? How did I allow this to happen? Like I, I was raised better than this. I'm, you know, smarter than this. Like how do you tolerate that? What is wrong with you? And then you start berating yourself about what you should have known, what you should have done. And the problem with that is, if you knew then at the beginning what you know right now, you probably wouldn't have made the same decision. And so I think giving yourself grace through that experience is important because you you wouldn't have found out if you didn't go through that. So I don't know if you have anything to add on what I said.
1: No, I think that it's also very often, it doesn't start with that proportion. It doesn't start with the proportion of more of those bad to good, which is also partially what I think messes with people. It starts off Mm -hmm. dramatically positive. When you first meet somebody and if they are that toxic or that narcissist, in the very beginning... There's a huge allure right there. You get all of the charm all of the charisma, all of that attention and all of that no bullshit interaction. There's no, Oh, I'll wait a few days. There's no, you meet that person and they're like, I have to go out with you. Like, when can we go out? And you're like, what just happened? I'm face to face with somebody. They didn't ask for my number. They didn't, they outright like no fear of rejection said that you have to hang out. There's something very appealing about it because in that moment, and I know we've talked about this a bit before, but for that narcissist, you are their need. They want you. And when they want things, they think they should get them. So their entire energy and goal is, is getting you, is meeting you, is spending time with you. So they'll dote on you. They'll pay attention to you. They will focus on you. And there's no games. It's kind of a, well, can we go out tomorrow? No, like, oh, hm, what about next week? Or they'll say, you tell me when you're free and I'm free. And you're like, what? And this is no where... Ga-
0: and this is where the the like the draw-in comes because if you've been dating people and they're kind of hot and cold or they're flaky or they seem really interested and they say stuff but they don't follow through in the dating world, it's like, oh my god, okay, well I just don't. And then somebody's like, whenever you need me, whenever you want me, I'm there. I'm there. I, I like mm-hmm. I'll never forget the first time I met this person in person, they sat me down and told me that they loved me and they asked me where I wanted to live. And it was just like that level of conviction of like, I'm going to marry you. We're going to have kids. Whatever you need, I'm going to take care of. Like, I've got you. You're taken care of. I'm so confident about you. I'm so confident about this. And we hadn't even known each other for that long. It w- But for me, it was like, wow, he's really serious. Maybe I need to be really serious. Maybe I need to catch up to speed. Maybe I'm the one that's po- holding us back right now. And so again, like it feels uncomfortable, but it's also like your mind goes to like, well, I do want a partner and I do want to be serious about this. And I do want to get married and I do want kids. And they're saying that this is what we're going to do. And they're super convicted about that. And again, in a very charismatic and charming way. It's like, well, okay, well maybe I need to let go. Maybe I need to just do this. Maybe we need to move in together. Maybe we need to, you know, whatever yeah. we need to do, but because it's so fast paced that's where you you don't realize that the train is going off the track and you just can't you don't see it coming because you're so optimistic and you have again if you're somebody who really really wants something for yourself and somebody that you can depend on and rely on and build a life with and somebody's promising you that and you you feel like you don't have to do anything other than be yourself like that mm-hmm. whole thing is just absolutely it's it's absolutely wild like i don't know how else to explain it but it's just like i've never had somebody talk to me that way Ever
1: well, and it's and it's it's super disarming because all of a sudden you don't know what the social rules are. So when somebody says to you, right, like if you meet somebody and they are just immediately and date number one saying you know that that somebody loves you, wants to marry you, and have that that's one extreme. That's an intense you. Know, but very often it could be anything. It could be that you have plans to do something you know with friends that weekend, and they're like you have to cancel them. I can't, I can't wait a week before we get together. Like I, well, what's interesting is if somebody just casually said, Hey, are you busy this weekend? You were like, yeah, I have plans with my family. And if they were like, well, cancel them. I want to hang out. You would be like, uh, no, like, you know, the rules, but when somebody says, Oh, I just, I don't know how I'm going to wait that long. I don't know. I, I can't, I cannot wait to go out again. And uh, do you have to be there the whole weekend? Or like, is there any way, like I'll come with you home and I won't even come to your family's. I'll stay local. And if we can go out for dinner and all of a sudden you're like, what's happening right now? I've never seen somebody who wants to be with me so much. And then before you know it, you're calling your family and saying, Hey, I'm not coming home this weekend. And they're like, what? Like, well, that sucks. You just canceled. And you're like, no, you don't understand. This is amazing. And they're like, uh, what? And then pe- other people will tell you that feels odd. And you're like, yeah, you're just mad that I'm not coming home. Like, because they don't you understand just don't want either. Me to be and happy they're now happy. getting you're it secondhand.
0: Mad- yeah. You're just mad. Right. You don't I have finally this. meet just, somebody who, yeah.
1: or you bring them home and then they see the full charm. And people are like, you just met last week. That's, I mean, feels a little rushed, but they were great. And now you have the, reassurance of family and friends of like, I've never met somebody so charismatic. So the challenge and the problem becomes as the relationship progresses, once the relationship is established, that's when you see this big shift. Because once they kind of, and I've said this, but once they have you, you know, once they're like, oh, good. Okay. We are in a relationship. This is locked in. Before, You and your time and being with them was their need. Now they have you, you switch to being their target, their need, what they want and desire to another part of their life that is responsible for helping get them what they need and want. So you're now a conduit to their needs getting met. So all of a sudden there's a shift from, oh, I just, I couldn't go that long without seeing you. Like, can I come to your family's event? where all of a sudden you're like, I'm inviting somebody to a family event and I don't know why. Well, cut to however long later. And they're, well, you're not going to that. What? And you're like, well, I went to this and I went to that and I want to stay home and I want to do this thing. And and you're like, what just happened? Where's the shift? And in the whole notion of why do people have trouble moving away from it? And I know it's going to be an odd example, but think about if you go to a restaurant, a new restaurant, and the first time you eat there, you have the best meal you've had ever. And you're like, holy crap, this place is unreal. Well then, yeah, you're going to want to go back. And then if the second and third and fourth and fifth time you go to this restaurant every time, it's amazing. And then you show up on a sixth time and it's not good. Well, you've had six meals there that were substantially better than any other meal you've ever had at a restaurant. So when you have one bad meal, are you going to be like, done, it's over? No, you're going to be like, "Uh, I'm going to go again. And then you go back the next time. And if you're like, okay, it wasn't as bad as time number six, but it still wasn't as amazing as the first few. Well, you're going to go back again. But then if you have an amazing meal, and you're like weird. Okay, so I had six really good meals, a couple not great, and then this. W- once you once you've established, I love this place, and it can make the best whatever like that I've ever had. You want to keep going back, even when it starts to be not great or it's inconsistent. If every once in a while you get this specific dish that you lo- you're going to keep going to that restaurant, and sometimes you'll be disappointed, and sometimes you unless it's awful. So in a relationship standpoint, if you're dating somebody, there is always going to be for everyone a threshold. Past that threshold is kind of a somebody does what, you know, somebody cheats or somebody does, everybody has their cutoff where they're like, hey, if this happens, I'm done. Well, that's where if you're in a toxic relationship and it comes really close to that, but there isn't an overt, very specific, this happened and we're done. It gets confusing because people will kind of be like, oh, like, I know it was bad. But then you have that person telling you like, well, partially it was your fault. This was kind of your fault. That was kind of your fault. Like, you know, the reason that that didn't go well was not really my fault. Right. well, it gets confusing. You're not sure. And you almost wish that they would do something horrible. So you could be like, oh, thank God. That was so clear. And now I can get rid of them. But they don't. It's like almost like bad enough. And then they bring it back. It's just not so cut and dry.
0: You've talked about this before. Um, and I think this is regarding uh your narcissistic lecture reel that you did.
1: Yes. So I
0: want you to outline that a little bit before I dive into the actual question.
1: Okay. So a narcissistic lecture and you know uh The whole idea is I think that when two people have a conversation, in general, what you're striving for, an ideal interaction, is that there is understanding. We understand one another's points. And ideally, if there's a decision-making point or even if it's just a topic, is that we agree. So in an easy interaction, we understand one another and we agree with each other. Great. We move forward. A healthy disagreement is when there's understanding, but not agreement. So I understand your point, you understand my point, but we don't agree. In a healthy relationship, when you have that, you can say, well, you understand, and I understand you, and we just don't agree on it. So now what do we do? That's where people have to work through compromise or decide what's relationship ending, what's not. A narcissist is not interested. In, in, in understanding your perspective in their mind, they are always right. Always. So what that means is if you don't agree with them, they are not interested in hearing your point of view. If you don't agree with them, their baseline core assumption is you don't understand. Because if you understood, you would agree because they're right in their mind. They are right. So if you disagree, it means you don't get it, right? That's where they'll get very dismissive. They'll talk to people like they're stupid. They'll make comments like, you know, and so the challenge becomes, they just want to keep explaining their point because in their mind, they're like, oh my God, how many different ways do I have to explain this to you for it to kind of light bulb moment for you to understand how wrong you are and that once you understand, you'll agree they don't have any capacity. So they will listen, but they are not listening to try and truly understand your perspective because they in their mind know they're right. So sometimes they will give you a turn to talk because they understand social norms and they understand if they want to talk again, they have to give you an opportunity. So some of them will say, okay, go ahead, explain it to me. Help me understand your perspective. So already, They're starting off by saying like, okay, dumbass, like, let's see if you have a single valid point, right? So some of them then just tune out and don't listen because they don't care. Others do listen, but they're only listening to basically poke holes. They're using it so they can refute your points or use your words against you or try and find a time where you know, you said something happened on Saturday the first time and you said it happened on Monday the second time. And then they want to use that almost like an attorney or a litigator trying to destroy your argument. So they're only listening for ammunition. So then they can say, well, now that it's my turn again, let me see if I can use your words and your logic against you. And so a narcissistic lecture basically is that they just will, they won't stop. They just keep going. And one of the things that's really exhausting is if you just agree. If you hit a point where you're like, "Oh, you know what? I want this argument to stop." So fine, I'll just agree. You would think that that's enough. It's not. They want agreement. They will accept it. So if you're trying to decide where to go, and you ultimately say, "Fine, we'll go to we'll go to the restaurant you picked," they're like, "Good, finally." But they also. They, they won't just take that. They're not just like, fine, you're doing what I want to appease me. They're like, no, not only do I want you to do it, I want you to agree it's the right choice. So they won't let it go. They want not just agreement. They want to hear that you understand. So they'll say, well, I'm glad you agree. Explain why. They'll like basically almost like quiz you, you know, well, what changed your mind? How can you believe that now? Because they're mad that you disagreed in the first place. And so it, yeah. Oh, sorry. Yeah.
0: No, I was going to say the way that I, the way that I break it down. So this person had asked, why do I feel like whenever I try to speak my piece, I'm always shut down and it gets flipped on me. Like everything is always my fault. Right. So that's why I was like, I feel like that fits your narcissistic lecture thing. The thing that I learned through that experience, because I am if I have conviction that I'm right about something, or I know what I saw, I know what I said, I know what I did, and you're telling me that I did something differently, I will, I will say something. I'll tell you you're wrong. But they, like you said, will keep going and keep going, keep probing. And then it's almost like an interrogation, right? Because if you don't remember, you don't remember what date you said. You don't remember exactly what you sent in that text message. Like you don't remember this date. Like it was just so upside down world to me, but they don't care about finding a solution. They care about your submission. So you have to say, you're right, I'm wrong, I did wrong, I hurt you, right? You have a right to then be controlling and insecure and check on me every five minutes and look through my phone and do all these things because of something I did. Right. And so that's where it, it gets to this point of, well, I don't trust you because you gave me a reason not to, remember when you did this thing? And they also, even if you think that they've forgiven you for something. The next time that they're upset, they will bring up that thing. If it happened a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, right, it's never, they don't ever make peace with anything. And it's just this constant thing, well, I'm upset or I do this because you did that to me. You hurt me, you did this. I'm upset because of you. I'm yelling at you because of you. I'm, you know, it's always your fault. It's never theirs. It's never their responsibility. And one thing I'll say is that I, in my experience, and I don't know if, if they never apologize, but they never apologize because everything that they've ever done is justified by something that you've either done to them, made them feel a thought that you provoked, like all of these things. It's your fault that they're behaving in a certain way. It's your fault if they're jealous. It's your fault if they're insecure. It's your fault if they're having a bad day. It's your fault if whatever their negative emotions might be, it tends to be your fault. And so I don't know how you overcome that and i i have a lot of empathy for people that are in that cuz one of the follow up questions is how do they affect you how do they affect future relationships and how do they affect you afterwards and i can say it's a mind fuck like i had to spend a lot of time and you know josh and i had connected a little bit after i'd been through some of the darker moments in the aftermath of that but you will ruminate and try to make sense of it and try to understand how somebody can behave that way or understand, was it really my fault? Did I really do something wrong? And then you'll start going back over things and playing it again and again, because in your mind, the way that you are wired, it doesn't make sense to you that somebody could react that way, that somebody could just be, I'll give you an example of something and you can tell me, you tell me if I was wrong, okay? <laughs> Josh doesn't know this story, <laughs> so this is an objective story.
1: Oh, so we were at a
0: dinner, we were at a dinner, and we were sitting around a table. And so I was next to him. And then there was another guy next to me. It was some of his like co-workers, let's say. And so one of his friends that was next to me was smoking a vape pen. And the vape pen blew and it blew in my face. And so I turned to him and said, that's really rude. Can you not do that? And he immediately was super apologetic. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. You know, the wind was blowing. I didn't mean to do that. I can obviously like step away from that. I'm a- I apologize. And I kind of laughed and I was like, it's fine. Like, don't overreact. And just, you know, I don't want you to do that. And so I don't really love confrontation with people, especially people I don't know. So like putting it off with a smile, it wasn't intentional to be like flirty. It was just like, I, I get it. Like, it's fine. Just don't do it again. Like, I forgive you. Calm down. But he flipped a gasket. I was flirting with him. I crossed a boundary. Do I want to go hang out with him? Do I want to go home with him? Like, you know, all of this stuff, like I had to get up from the table because he started yelling at me and passive aggressively like the taser, just like little passive comments in my ear about how awful I am, about how like I'm disrespecting him. Like, do I want to go fuck him? Like all of these things. It went from zero to a thousand immediately. And so after that, we got into a huge argument and it was because I was flirting with this person by saying I didn't want them to blow their smoke in my face and then forgiving them when they apologized as if I should have never forgiven them and I should have been absolutely rude and I should have moved myself from the table and sat somewhere else. Like just this, you should have done these things because it's disrespectful to me now that you forgave them and smiled. That was it. My, my crime was that I smiled at a guy. So you tell me, is that something that is normal? Am I in the wrong? or is that something no. that he's completely overreacting. But again, you'll play it oh, over. So he... I played that scene over and over that night in my head while he's yelling at me. I'm playing it over and over in my head. Was I overly frontatious? Did I make too long of eye contact? Should I have not forgiven him? But like when you, when they make these these arguments and they're truly angry and upset, like visibly angry. Like you mm-hmm. just don't know, you start to question like, okay, that reaction's a little bit high. Like that's this person is having a total tantrum right now. And all I see yeah. that I did was say, I forgive you. It's okay. Just don't do it again. But obviously, like, this person is highly reactive to that. So did I do something wrong? Because the the outcome, no, the reaction God, to this no. whole thing doesn't make sense.
1: No, there's absolutely – like, and I, I guarantee you everybody listening, it, it, whether they're in their car or anywhere, is screaming either internally or, or out loud, like, absolutely fucking not. Like, you did not – Nothing wrong, right? So somebody did something that you found unpleasant. You let them know that that, that, is, that is a healthy amount of standing up for yourself and being present. You know, now what's so interesting is the flirty component that you're describing. So first off, that's not flirty. You know, my guess is having been in that kind of a relationship, you're also going to be disarmed by an immediate apology, the notion that somebody does something and you say, "Hey, don't do that again. I don't like it," and they go, "Oh shit, I'm sorry." That response is gonna be off-putting or almost confusing, because when you're in a relation, a toxic relationship, an immediate apology is actually gonna be really stressful, because you're gonna be like, "Uh oh, what what really happened? Where is this going now?" What's, what's their game? What are they playing at? Where am I going to pay for this later? Where... So somebody just saying, oh, shit, I'm sorry, is going to make you have almost a, a, a uh, overcompensation in the other direction of, oh, maybe I shouldn't have come out like totally fine. No big deal. Like, thank, thank you. Right. It's like, what? Thank you. Like, you don't need to thank somebody. If they made a mistake, you called them out on it and they apologize. That's an ideal interaction. Right, If I step on somebody's foot and they say, ow, my response is going to be, oh my God, I'm sorry. That's it. They don't have to thank me for apologizing but when I'm the one that did something wrong, even if it was an accident. Now, once that person's foot doesn't hurt anymore, they're going to be able to be like, no big deal. I get that it was an accident. Fine. But... No, you were doing absolutely nothing wrong. And this is where we move from the idea of just dating a narcissist to the borderline personality disorder component. Where, where... And I think
0: it's really important to dis- delineate between these two things because I think they're, they have similarities, like the personalities themselves, yes. but they also have differences. And so you can't, about 40% of people, to my understanding, that have borderline are also narcissistic, right? They can have both. Right. So I want to distinguish a little bit by what you mean. Yeah, by what you mean by now, we're sliding a little bit into borderline versus what a normal, maybe narcissistic response to that would be.
1: So borderline personality disorder without the narcissistic component is a different presentation. Somebody with a borderline personality disorder... Uh, it's more difficulty regulating emotion, difficulty reading emotion, really significant strain or stress with abandonment or perceived rejection. So they have a tendency to lash out because at all times they're they're comparing themselves to others they're almost you know they have an incredibly high need for validation and attention, and they're easily hurt, and their gut is kind of push back or push away. And they have a component of this, hey, I I know what I know. Or uh, I sometimes we'll talk about for for a borderline life can be really exhausting because emotion and fact are often confused. For them, an emotion it, is experienced identical to a fact. So if you have a really good friend who wakes up one day and they're mad at you and they don't know why, right? A normal person is going to go weird. I don't know why I'm frustrated or upset or like what's going on or maybe something happened. A borderline, if, if, if they wake up and they're mad at you, they immediately assume you did something. They believe with their entire heart, well, I'm mad at my friend because they, they, something happened. Otherwise, I wouldn't be mad. So they mentally search like a Rolodex of what have we been through? What have we done? Until they can find a potential reason. And then, so you might get a call or a text from that friend that's like, I've been trying to keep this to myself, but you know, like, you know, a month and a half ago when we did this, you said the following and it really hurt me. And you're like, what? Like that, it was six weeks ago and we've hung out, we've talked, we, everything's been fine. And they're like, I know I was trying to keep it in. And this is always the friend that you're like, they keep nothing in. This is the friend that you could be on a group text chat with. And you make a joke and then you get a side message from them saying, hey, I can't believe you said that. You know, that person in and of itself can just be a tough friend or a tough person in your life because they, they have a lot, they have a high need. When you add in the narcissism component, if you combine narcissism, because pure narcissism, uh, when we come back to that whole idea of understanding and agreement, uh, they primarily just want agreement. They don't really care about the understanding. So if you, like if they yell, scream, do whatever they need to do to manipulate to get you to do what they want, if you do what they want, they're good. They're like, okay, great. They don't care if you understand. They don't, you know, they're just like, great. I need you to agree with me. I don't need you to understand. So a narcissist doesn't actually take that same amount of hurt or frustration or irritation that you didn't agree. It's more when you add in the narcissism and a borderline, you know, or what I refer to as a narcissistic borderline, that's when you get this, no, it's not enough that you just agree with me. You have to understand and you have to tell me that I'm right and you have to prove to me that I'm right. And then you have to never make that mistake again. And you. so it is different. And what you got from him was that combination. He experienced it as a rejection. He experienced your interaction with this other, for whatever reason, in that moment, it made him feel self-conscious. It made him feel like somebody else was. So in his mind, that's a fact. If he feels mad or upset, it is because you did something wrong. Not because he's feeling insecure, not because, so the details are irrelevant. It's about his emotional response. Now, the apology component, because I want to make sure to come back to that. And it's so funny that you should, because I, um, I think I, don't know, I, I have a video I recorded like months ago and I was thinking this morning of like, I was like, gosh, ah, I put it up. That is about the apology and the non-apology from a narcissist or a narcissistic borderline. They do not apologize. They don't apologize because they don't believe they've done anything wrong ever. Now, they may understand the differences and they understand right and wrong, so if they do something that is, you know, wrong, so to speak, they are aware of it, but it is never going to be their fault. It is always going to be because of something somebody else did. You made me do something wrong, which means the apology isn't really an apology, but that goes for anything, right? If they scream at you, well, they know they shouldn't have, but it's not really their fault. It's your fault for pissing them off or upsetting them so much that they got that mad. So an apology is going to be a, almost a, if at most you're going to get a, maybe I shouldn't have done that, but it was because of A, B, and C. It was because of what you did. Same with cheating. If a toxic person cheats, They know that's not right, but they will never apologize because they're going to say like, well, I did it because you did this, this, and this, which means, sure, did I do something wrong? Technically, but in my instance, it's not wrong. It's your fault. And if you hadn't done that, I wouldn't have done this. So they'll never apologize because it doesn't matter what it is. It's your fault. If they borrow your car and they go to pull it out and they hit the side of the garage They won't apologize. They will be mad at you. Well, why did you park the car so far to the left? What? Like, they don't know how to just say it was an accident. I did something wrong. It's never going to be their fault. You know, it's always going to be a like, well, I'm sorry I messed it up, but you shouldn't park like that. You know, they will always have a reason.
0: I was going to say, and I have a library of examples that are just like that. I mean, one time we were walking through the zoo and somebody said like, oh, you're a beautiful girl. And I said, thanks. We argued for probably an hour and a half because I said, thanks. And I should have said, fuck off or nothing else. And it's one of those things where every time, like he told me point blank, if I'm jealous, it's because you made me feel that way, right? I'm upset because you made me feel that way. I didn't do this. You did that. And now I need you to say, you'll never do it again. And this is how you're going to function. And this is what you're going to do. And this is how you respond. Like just some of that stuff. And again, if you are kind of blinded by the love bombing phase, we'll call it, because it's so just like dopaminergic and it's addicting and it's just this whole new experience, you're like, you, and you haven't, I mean, am I? situation. I hadn't dated in a really long time. So I was like, maybe this is proper etiquette of dating. Like maybe this is what is required to have long-term, you know, I didn't know. And I was like, okay, well, I'm willing to kind of examine my behavior. But I remember even one time he got really mad because something stupid and he punched a wall and I was like, you're scaring me. And he's like, you're making me act this way. And it's just one, it's never like just to agree with what you're saying is it's truly never their fault, even with the cheating thing. He got mad because I have lots of guy friends and I said, love you. Cause I always tell my friends, I love them. Like I do love them. But he was like, that's wildly inappropriate. That's cheating. That's, you know, all these things. And then he ended up, you know, a lot long story short, like stepping outside of that, our relationship and it was my fault. You said, you love these people. You're doing this. That's fucking cheating. So I can cheat too. How does that feel?
1: And it's, it is, that comes from that insecurity. It doesn't appear as insecurity. It comes off actually as, you know, almost like a complete and total strength of conviction. They believe it so intensely. And it's it's a little shocking when somebody says, how could you say that? It's like, say, say what? Say thank you? Like to a total stranger who I'll never see again? Like I, I don't, like what was I supposed, like, and saying fuck off? Like I wouldn't say that to... So it is more about in that moment, he felt insecure and, you know, the challenge is what he wants, right? And we've talked about this, right? Like they, that a, a a narcissist, uh, they don't target people that they feel like are easily manipulated or victims or no, they, they actually tend to target people that are highly desirable, they target people who others want because they think they're amazing. So they think they should have the best. So they want somebody that other people are going to be jealous of, right? Because that's where the value is. The value is if other people want some part of their life, right? If other people think they're, they're doing amazing, if other, so in essence, they're going to go after people that they're like, one, uh, are often confident or outgoing, or extroverted, or put themselves out there, or that other people are drawn to and like, because they're like, okay, well, then that's the kind of person I should be with. And they also are drawn to people who are natural accommodators or people pleasers. Because if they start dating somebody who is equally strong-willed, and just says no, then they'll be like, well, then you're awful, and they break up. But if they start dating somebody that they throw all of this affection on and that person is like, well, this is spectacular. And as a result, yeah, I'm super flexible. I'll do whatever you want. You know, like, oh, you wanted to go away this weekend? I didn't want to, but I don't care. I'll go. They are getting their need met also because they're like, well, this is great. I have somebody who will do what I want. And if you're a natural accommodator, well, a narcissist or a narcissistic borderline, if you're trying to decide where to go to dinner, they know what they want. So if they say, do you want to go to A or B? And you say, whatever you want. And they go, I want B. They're like, great. That's how it should be. And it's great for the accommodator because a natural accommodator cares more about, I just want the decision made. That's the stressor. Like we have to figure out what we're going to eat. Once the decision's made, that's relief. Secondary is the like, what am I going to eat and where are we going? Right? It's kind of, I just want the decision made. So if you're dating somebody who just says like, well, this is where we're going to go. It's actually very symbiotic in the beginning. It works for both people. The narcissist gets what they want. And a natural accommodator is going to be like, that's freaking awesome. They just stepped right up, said what they wanted, like, and we went out. Like, we didn't waste more than three seconds on where we're going. It just, it, it can't last. It can't be sustained because down the line, there's frustration of how come, like, I'm always the one that has to pick. How come I'm always the one that, does? well, because that's what they want. That's the way they've set the rules. They've chosen somebody who is going to say, hey, whatever you want, I'm good. I'm flexible. I can be happy in any scenario. It works for them in that setting. But so they're more likely to go after people who are really kind and really giving and genuinely liked. They're not looking for like like a weak target that they can manipulate. That's more when you get into kind of the sociopathy, psychopathy most of the time know that they want to be with somebody that they think is great. Then they're stuck because if they meet somebody who is genuinely great, genuinely uh, confident in certain areas and they feel insecure, well, now they're in this battle where they still want to be seen as the better one. They still want to be seen as doing better as kind of being a little bit more successful as being, So if too many people say like, man, you lucked out, that will start to get to them. Some people see that as as great, right? If somebody says, oh my God, your partner is unbelievable. They're just like, I know, right? You know, like I've heard people be like, I know I married up. I have no idea how that happened, but I'm psyched. Uh, A narcissist or a narcissistic borderline, you know, will say that. But internally, they're like, well, I'm awesome. Also, you should be saying they're pretty lucky, which means then they want to bring you down a peg. They want to make sure that you're awesome, but not more awesome than them. So if you get more attention, if you get more accolades, if you get more, you know, they hate it. They hate it. And then so publicly, they'll support you. Privately, they'll 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 try their hardest to bring you down. Cause they want you to believe that you need them, that you're the lucky one. And so it, it's hard. Cause I know a lot of people who have ended up in scenarios like this, where they're really, their goal is they want to make it work. And they're like, oh, we should be able to make it work. Like there's such good components. And if, and if we, so their core is, there's gotta be a combination. How do I unlock this? What, what can I do? to try and bring out that awesome combination where I get the best part of that person and and I can still be me. And it's almost this feeling of if I just get it right, we could be amazing. We could be the couple everybody envies, but I can't get it right. And every time I think I'm close, something happens. Well, as we've talked about, there's no predicting it the response, the behavior, the emotional state is not based on you or, or your actions or what you're doing. It is based on, you know, it's based on that toxic individual and their emotional state and what's happening. It has nothing to do with you. So they come home from work and one day they're in the best mood ever. That's not because of you. It's because other stuff has happened and they were in a good mood. If they come home and all of a sudden there's criticism everywhere. Again, you didn't do anything to make it happen and you couldn't have done anything to prevent it. They were in a mood and it was going to come out. And your description at the zoo, I, I knew somebody years ago. I can't remember where they were a similar thing. They were in public somewhere and somebody made a comment, you know, about her being attractive and you know, her partner at the time, he went nuts. And the first thing he said was, well, you're wearing all sorts of revealing clothing. And why do you wear your hair down? How you usually wear it in a ponytail. How come you had it down today? She was wearing a tank top. It was summer. And like, who, like who knows why her hair does? she hadn't thought of it at all, but like all of a sudden, so she started questioning like, wait, should I not be wearing a tank top because it has a lower neckline? Like, And she hadn't thought once about her hair, what she did or didn't. But she was like, I don't think I even paid attention to that. Did I let my hair down that day? Did I like, was I, because she was so confused by the disproportionate response. Yes. That it made her think maybe there are things I'm not conscious of that I need to start being conscious of. Because I don't know why my hair was down. You know, I've never thought about that. So then she started getting her own head. And trying to pay attention to when do I put my hair back and when don't I put my hair back? Well, so now she's trying to look at her own behavior, but it's not based off of reality. It's based off of his emotional response. So, but it will make you start to feel hyper fixated on your body language, what you wear, how you interact. It will make you start trying to consciously think about everything that comes out of your mouth and or everything that you do things that usually you do on autopilot like oh why did i wear these shoes today i don't know cuz i don't usually mentally think about that i grab my running shoes like now all of a sudden i'm thinking about it why did de- it will exhaust a normal person because they're like maybe i'm doing all sorts of stuff that's really rude and i don't even know because truthfully when you know when he said my hair was down it was i don't remember So did I put it down? Did I sit? That's where you have to be able to take a step back and be like, right, before you start questioning all of your own variables, it's kind of a, wait, the core issue here is you were out walking. You'd no way to know who was going to be there. Who wasn't, you'd no way to know who, and how are you supposed to know what kind of a stranger is going to actually make an out loud comment about your physical appearance? So in what universe can any of that be your fault? And a response – and here's the thing. Let's say you had just said right to that person, fuck you or go fuck – that also wouldn't have been the right response.
0: So this is where – He would have been like, why did
1: you say that? How can – oh, sorry. This is
0: where you made a point earlier and it was like it doesn't – Something along the lines of like you trying to get the code right. And if you can get the code right, then things will work out. The thing about that is you will never get the code right, even if you do get the code right, because they will always have a problem with something. doesn't matter what it is, right? You could, you could, whatever. Um, and And I think that was the hardest part for me to accept because I had, you know, remove friends, remove things that he wanted me to remove, clean stuff up, like didn't w- stop wearing makeup, like would always, you know, keep myself covered, not make eye contact with people, don't talk to men. And it didn't matter what you do. It, it's never going to be enough. It's never going to appease them to the point where they change because it's an internal personality function within them to operate that way. It's almost like they have an addiction to having these outbursts to continue to remind themselves of either their own validation, their own levels of control, their own levels of importance. I'm I'm not sure where that comes from. Um, But I do think it's important to understand if you find yourself in that, in that situation where like, if I can just get it right, if I can just figure this out, if I can just do this, then we'll be happy, then it will be good. Then this all will stop. You're never going to figure it out. You will never figure it out. And that is one of the hardest things to just accept because you can't change it. And you'll waste a lot of time and cause a lot of pain within yourself trying to point yourself as the reason that there are problems because it's not, it's not just you. It takes two to tango for sure. However, if you're dealing with somebody who truly has these traits and they have so much cognitive dissonance about what's going on, what they want and how they're functioning, you can't change that. doesn't matter what you do.
1: Mm-hmm. Well,
0: so, and the I last think to I the wanted, core yeah. point,
1: Oh, sorry. To the core point that this all started with is the like the why do why do people stay is because it's so nuanced, right? If you take exactly what you just said, here's the problem. We're all – we all have faults. We all make mistakes. So if you're in a relationship and sometimes you try a combination and it works and you get this amazing response and you're like, okay, I think I cracked the code. No, you didn't. Just that day, that code worked. Or that day, you didn't have to do a code at all, that's where it was headed. But three days later, same exact scenario, same code isn't gonna work. And then also, we do make mistakes. So now, if there is a time that you make a legitimate error, you legitimately do something where you're like, ah, crap, I should have called you and said I was gonna be late and I did like a, a true normal error their response is going to be massive. And in that scenario, you're like, I did make a mistake. They have a right to be upset about it. So now what you have is times that you make a legitimate mistake and you're over-criticized for it. Times you didn't make a mistake at all and you're criticized for it. Times you tried to manipulate a situation to, tr- to get the best out of them or not create problems and it went great. Times that you didn't even know there was stress but it blows up. So it gets super confusing cuz you're like, "Hey, I know I'm not perfect. I know I'm making errors." So, but I don't know what percentage are the things I'm bringing? What percentage are the things they're bringing? What And sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. It's hard to see when you're in the middle of it and your kind of internal goal is I think I'm supposed to try and make this work. Right when one of the things I think holds people up more than anything is the idea that a relationship ending is a failure mm. because then yeah. people's core assumption is if a relationship isn't going well, I'm supposed to try and fix it. And if it fails or it ends, I've done something wrong. That just core internalized notion of, and and then you add in that if you have somebody who has that charisma, everybody else isn't going to understand. Everybody else is going to be like, oh, but he seemed great. Or they seemed great. Or, she seemed great. You know, like, and you're like, okay, well, so sometimes it's also trying to fight against that core belief that if a relationship has some real good to it, the only option is save it. Well, no, a relationship can have a lot of good. And if it also has a lot of bad, then saving the relationship isn't the only win. I would actually say it's probably the only lose is to say no matter what save the relationship. No, not if it's not good for you.
0: I think that's a great note to end on and we only got to like two questions so we have a whole list. Oh no, and
1: you said there um, was one more question or thing you wanted to
0: Yeah, well, okay, we can touch on it if you want to. But I think one of the things that I think is important that's really associated with this and but this might be a, a podcast topic itself. So I'll I'll ask you the question and you tell me what you think. But how does this affect future relationships? What do they do to you? And how does this impact your mental health?
1: Oof.
0: Yeah, that's why I said If like you spend days. a
1: long time, yeah, I mean, the, the headline of that is, of course, it's going to shift your perspective. Because if you spend any significant amount of time in a relationship where you just don't understand the rules... And where you're like, hey, I can't predict when this is happening. Or if you end a relationship and you're like, hey, I need to I need to really change how conscious I am about everything I do. You know, right. If I've been criticized because I went to the grocery store and I didn't call or text to see if you need anything or I'm criticized because I went to the grocery store and I texted too much to see if you needed something. Or, so I need to be very mindful about everything I do. Well, then when that relationship ends, you're still left with this hyper focus on your side of it, on your like, okay, I need to be very aware of what I'm bringing and what I'm doing because I have set somebody off before. You spend so much time trying to like relearn how to interact with somebody without it being explosive that one, any sort of intensity you see in another person now sends up an immediate red flag, right? So you step on their toe and they go, ah, what the, you're going to be like, whoa, okay. I need out. And if they're like, oh, sorry, I swore. It just caught me off guard. And you're like, did it? Or did I just see your dark inner side, which I now believe everybody must have. Yep. Right. So that's the part that's hard is relearning like, right. How do I throw out the rules I tried my hardest to learn to save that relationship that was not healthy and not apply those while also holding on to at least some new awareness to make sure that I'm also not explaining away red flags? That is the constant juxtaposition of so which one do I trust more? Um, And being with somebody like that for an extended period of time you learn, hey, if I don't know, assume that it's bad. That's that's something we can delve into more, you know, when we have a little bit more time. But yeah, I mean, that's at least the the, the headline.
0: The headline for the next one yeah because i have so much i could say about this just from my own experience but again i think it's good to talk to you with your experience and your understanding from more of an objective position um so we'll dive into that topic next time guys uh, but again if you have further questions after listening to this or other topics you want us to discuss feel free to tap the link below and submit your questions and we'll talk to you guys soon bye